Oh, we can't sing it too many times. We cannot contemplate it too frequently. This mystery that is front and center whenever we come to the Advent season. Holy Father, You are Father. What is this? One of the three persons of the eternal Trinity was appointed to become Son? You really did come in Him through the womb? Oh God, what does it mean? We cannot comprehend it. We confess it and we wait upon You as in worship for a fleeting moment longer. We ponder it. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the child of Bethlehem and Christmas, we pray. Amen. In the Apocalypse, the Bible's last book, our last time in the Bible's last book, this semester, that now has come to an end. In the Apocalypse, there is a childbirth, and I wish to read that childbirth with you. Very rare that childbirths are actually portrayed and described in Holy Scripture. So I want to read these words to you, Revelation chapter 12. Let me read a line or two. Beginning in verse 1, this is the New Revised Standard Version. A great portent, that would be a sign. Great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now here it comes. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. Verse 5, And she gave birth to a son, a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. All right, hold on, ladies and gentlemen. For the next 120 seconds, are you ready? For the next 120 seconds, I would like to give you the opportunity to watch in living color what you have just read in black and white. I'm going to let you watch a live human birth right here on the screen. What you're about to witness will not make you sick. I don't think. Now, you made your mother sick, but this will not make you sick. Thanks to the kindness of Sharon Russell. God bless her. She, she teaches uh, child development over at Andrews Academy. She's a pro at this. Our little girl, not so little anymore, our teenager Kristen, uh, is taking the class. And so through Kristen, I found out about these videos and I watched them. I watched four babies being born on video. And because I didn't feel that a man should be the one to decide which scene would be most appropriate for a worship viewing, I had the nurse in our home also watch the births. I was rather surprised. I guess it was a good thing because the one, the, the, the video I had chosen, edgy and in your face, was the one Karen said, no woman in the world would ever forgive you for showing that. So, if you want to see it, talk to Sharon Russell, who is here. Sharon, you want to stand so that everyone can see you? All right. But for now, I want you to lean forward because you can't lean back on this one. You've got to lean forward. And I want you to become an eyewitness to the actual birth of a human baby, just like he came just like you came. Take a look at the screen right now. Let's go. And feel fast. Feel hard. Two. Three. More. Four. Now push in hard. Real hard. And hold it. And roll that ear down, pushing the baby down. The baby's head coming out and keep it up. More. More. That's it. More. 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 
Barbara. Come on now, Barbara. There you go. There you go. Keep it up. Come on, Barbara. Four. Quick breath. And Come on, Barbara. You know what to do. Two. Barbara had a choice of drugs to reduce pain without obliterating consciousness or affecting baby. And even harder, show us the stuff you made. But having a partner present, as those earlier times knew, may also help a mother manage pain. Let me hold station. Do you want to take the closer than this without the head popping out? The next one is definitely coming out. Head down, Barbara. Okay. Get up, Barbara. A little more. A little more. A little more. A little more. Okay. How are you? Hi, how are you? Hi. How are you? Birth is biological and universal. But human childbirth is shaped by culture, time, and place. The difference in one nation in just two decades reminds us of our power to change conditions which shortchange our potential. This kind of birth is not for everyone, and no studies have proven long-term effects on the child, good or bad, of any particular style of birth. But there is evidence that some mothers, especially from poor backgrounds, respond more positively to their newborns if they can welcome them this way. I believe that came out of you? No. Is that believable? You open the back. You just lost a lot of weight, Barb. What we have just witnessed, ladies and gentlemen, obviously, is a highly sanitized and antiseptic version of what actually took place in a dank, dark cow stall over 2,000 years ago. When Mary gave birth, come on, wrap your mind around this, when Mary gave birth to the baby Jesus, He came, I remind you, without attending nurses and doctors, He came without blue sterile sheets and white fluffy gauzes, He came straight out of her teenage womb, just as you saw it, with an umbilical cord, just as blue and pink as the one you saw here connecting Him to His mother. He came with the ambiotic fluid bursting out of the uterus all over Him, and when He came out, He had upon His body His mother glistening blood on his baby flesh. When Mary gave birth to the baby Jesus, He came just like you and I came, unless you came like Julius Caesar came and you were delivered by cesarean section. We've always known something was wrong with you and now we know. The rest of us came normally. John witnesses a pregnant woman in the agony, whoa, the agony of childbirth. And we know who the baby is. Open your Bible if you haven't opened it yet. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great portent appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. Then another portent, another sign appeared in heaven. A great red dragon with 
seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And finally, five, and she gave birth to a son, a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne, end quote. Who is this boy child that the red-faced dragon is salivating? He's just waiting for the head to come out of that womb that he might devour this child. Who is this boy child? This baby boy that is supposed to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Actually, I'm telling you what, John is dropping 100-pound clues all over the muddy birthing floor. Because you see, the moment we read the words, He is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, we think of the Messianic Psalm, the great Psalm 2. Let's put it up on the screen. Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree of the Lord, He said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In language that is reserved exclusively for the Messiah. John said, hey, by the way, this baby that popped out of the womb, the baby is the Messiah. Now, there's one other huge 100-pound clue that drops to the birthing floor, except we don't get it. We don't get it because we're reading in English and you have to read in Greek to catch it. That word right here in verse 5, for and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron, that word in the Greek is poimenein, which actually means to shepherd. It means to shepherd. He's going to shepherd the nations, which is a huge and unmistakable link to another ancient prophecy found in the heart of the Christmas story we know so well. Take a look at Matthew chapter 2. You remember the story about the wise men? Matthew 2, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and they were asking, Where is the child who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we observed a star at its rising and we have come to pay him homage. Oh, when King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, quoting from the ancient prophet Micah, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is It has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd. There it is. Shepherd, not rule. Shepherd. A ruler's coming who will shepherd my people. Out of all little town of Bethlehem, the ancient prophet Micah predicted that one whose goings forth were from everlasting is going to come. Right out, of a t- right out of a womb, right there in Bethlehem. We know who the baby is. We know. We already know. By the way, so does the furious, fomenting dragon. He knows. <laughs> when John, isn't this some description? John depicts the woman crouched there, her legs spread eagle. This young virgin mother preparing to give birth. There is that sinister dragon just waiting. We saw it a moment ago. Just waiting for the head to emerge. I don't need to tell you how many times across this planet something has gone wrong when the head emerged and that life was gone. You don't think Satan attended the birth of Jesus? You don't think he knows that nine months now the 
the second person of the Godhead has been nowhere to be seen. You don't think he knows when the star keeps mysteriously following this pregnant woman wherever they go and then the wise men come? You don't think he's figured it out. He's there. Ah, but what's the promise? And the angel of the Lord encamps around about those who fear him. And it is that angel that God's destiny has determined. Not time yet. Yes, this boy's going to die at the hands of the dragon. Not yet. Not yet. Keep him alive. And so the dragon, what does he do? Inflames that wicked and wily king here. We read it. By the way, in this translation, the New Revised Standard Version of Matthew 2, Herod is so furious that he decrees the slaughter of all children. Some translations say just the boy child. This translation carefully notes the Greek and, notes it, and recognizes it can be all children. Baby girls, baby boys, I don't care. Two years and under, dead. Furious, this dragon. Furious. Too late. Sorry, red-faced dragon. Too late. You lose. For a while. Although, interestingly enough, if you read John's account here in Revelation 12, the dragon never gets him. He just goes, did you notice this? In Revelation 12, the baby comes straight out of the womb of the woman and shoo, boom, goes straight to heaven. Did you catch that in verse 5? And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God into his throne. Boom, the baby goes. He doesn't have a teenager go. He doesn't have the baby grow up to be a young adult. It's just baby straight to heaven. What's going on? Oh, by the way, there is a cryptic clue. You're right. Cryptic clue that before the baby gets to heaven, there is that bloody showdown. In fact, John wants us to make sure we know who the dragon is. Look at verse 9. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him from heaven. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. If you've been tortured in the last seven days with a guilty conscience, if you've been tortured with a sense of failure, if you have been tortured with the thought, I cannot succeed, I cannot move ahead, I want to tell you something. The accusing voice that dogs, that dogs your heels has dragon breath all over it. He majors in torture. He majors in making you think that you're not really going to make it in this life. Spiritually, you're a failure. Did you know what you did last week? You are over, my man. It's curtains for you. The accuser of our comrades, you and me, we live with that accusation. Dragon breath. There's another answer to that, and that's right here in verse 11. The dragon accuses the friends of Jesus day and night before our God, but I love this, verse 11, they, the friends of Jesus, have conquered Him, the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not cling to life even in the face, even in the face of death. The baby who went from the birthing room in verse 5 straight to the throne room actually went to Calvary first in verse 11, shed His blood on an old, rugged, cross and then said, okay, I can go home now. And through that bloody death on Calvary, he crushed, stamped the head of the dragon slash serpent. 
fact, it brings back to memory the primordial, the primeval, the first promise God ever made on earth. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Ah, God said to Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, she's going to have a baby one day, but I'm going to put enmity and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, you will crush his heel. He will be wounded, but he will not go down. He, in turn, will crush your head. Which would you rather have crushed, your heel or your head? There was bloody death, the seed of the woman crushes the head. I know you got dragon breath all around you. I got dragon breath all around me. But ladies and gentlemen, our foe has already been defeated and it's mop-up time. He's been defeated. There's been a war. The war's still going on. A couple of weeks I'll say a word about the war that we might face as a nation. There is a war that we're in now. But the dragon has already been defeated. Ah, verse 5. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But shoom, her child was snatched away and taken to God and to His throne. Straight from the birthing room to the throne room. What is going on? Could it be, ladies and gentlemen, this last Sabbath of our semester series called The Revealing, where we've been going back over and over what happened to the face? Let's get a camera on that, please. We've been going back over and over again to a face. We saw Arnold paint this picture, our first Sabbath together at the beginning of the semester. Our last time together in the revealing as we have looked for the faces of Christ in the mighty apocalypse. We go back one last time. And isn't this amazing? This time it's the face of a baby on the throne that we see as we worship Him. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. I mean, you go to this gallery of pictures that we have gazed upon. You think about it. Every time we've looked at God, He's been unapproachable. Hasn't He been? I mean, come on. We, 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 we go into His throne room in Revelation chapter 4, and we want... He, here He is on this white throne, high and lifted up, ineffable glory, resplendent light. And when we... Just like John said, we just give me a little peek at that face. All we see is white light, no face at all. So we say, well, the Holy Spirit must be here. And when we look for the Holy Spirit in the throne room, all we have are these huge, roaring, flaming torches. No sign of the Holy Spirit. Well, then we say, can we... How about the second person of the Godhead? Can we, the third person... No, the second person, rather. We want to find Jesus. And when we look for Jesus, what do we find? A bloodied up, dead lamb walking. Do you know what theologians tell us? They say, hey, 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 don't be upset. Theologians with their big language... Big words. What you have encountered is the truth about God's transcendence. What's transcendence mean? Transcendence means God's holy or holy. And you can spell holy two ways, can't you? God's holy otherness. He is removed. He just simply, he, he, he just is so far away. He is so infinite, so high and lifted up that there is no point in making contact. I mean, it's just impossible. I can't grasp it. Utter and infinite distance. Kind of like the ladybug. Do you have it in your house too? Do the ladybugs come into your house come winter? What is the problem with Michigan ladybugs? They come into the house. Do you have them? Don't fake it because first service they all nodded their heads. So I know you have them. I know you want to lack really, really, very, very well, we don't have ladybugs in our home. Yes, you do. Something crazy about Michigan ladybugs. They come into the house. When it first, when it gets cold. We also have box elders. You know what those are? They're ugly. They're black and red. 
They're bigger than ladybugs. They're just terrible. I hate them. I mean, I'll be sitting down in my little study downstairs, having, minding my own business, having worship, and all of a sudden I'll feel something crawling right up my leg. And I'll look down in the hair there, and there it is, just a cute little ladybug. Now, my philosophy about bugs, by the way, is an Albert Schweitzer, Schweitzer kind of philosophy, which is live and let live. But the women in my home have a two-word motto, crush and scream, crush and scream, crush and scream. So, if you're a later bug, please do not visit our home. It's bad news. But the fact of the matter is, you take that little ladybug. I mean, if that ladybug crawls up your hand here, okay? Ladybug, ladybug. How's that poem go? What? Yeah. Ladybug, ladybug. When that, does that ladybug know what it's doing right now? That ladybug has absolutely no concept. Who are you? I don't know. You're just warm and I want to, I want to go uphill. That ladybug, you, you are so transcendent to that ladybug. You are, you are wholly other. You're way up here. The ladybug can see you, but the ladybug cannot comprehend you. And that is the way it is with God. God's transcendence is so big. We're like little ladybugs on His toe. I can see you, but I, I cannot comprehend what this is. The apocalypse in its gallery has picture after picture of God's transcendence, but hallelujah. And the theologians tell us there's another word you need to be somewhere trying to find. That word is imminence. There is a picture of God in His imminence. Let me show you the difference between these two theological terms. Transcendence, that means that it would be God's holy other. Let's go ahead and start moving the split screen, please. His holy otherness. Now, imminence is God's earthly Nearness. And that's not earthly, that's earthy. Just like you and I are. This closeness, proximity. So that transcendence, you have the God of the throne room, but in the imminence, you have the God of the birthing room. John makes sure that before you and I hurry out of this semester and go home for the holidays, he makes sure that we realize God is not only other, he is not only infinitely removed from us. God, John wants us to know, please, when you go home to celebrate Christmas this year, would you remember that there is the face of a baby on the throne of the universe? Wow. God. Earthy, bloody, Wailing, groaning, birthing room. He came straight out of Mary the way you saw it on video a moment ago. Hallelujah. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to His throne. Ladies and gentlemen, one last worship before the throne. Wouldn't it be appropriate to say hallelujah? Oh, wasn't there? Oh, did you, did, you, did you miss the Christmas celebration last night? Church was full. Oh my, when that magnificent music, one of those songs was, O Magnum Mysterium, O Majestic Mystery. But the whole service ended with Handel's Messiah and, and, and the choir and the orchestra here with the hallelujah chorus. You know why you can say hallelujah this Christmas? Because the God on the throne of the universe has a baby face. How do you like that? A God with a baby face. A baby face on a holy throne. His name is Emmanuel. And you know what? Emmanuel doesn't only mean God with us. Emmanuel also means us with God. Hallelujah. Us with God. Emmanuel. Why did he put a baby 
on the throne in Revelation 12 so that we would never forget that we are never forgotten. That's why. So that we would never forget that we are never forgotten. There is a baby on the throne of the universe today. I want to end with a heart-tugging letter that appeared in an editorial this week in the South Bend Tribune. How can you read this letter and not be moved? The editors write, and they will actually quote the letter here. Here comes. Stories of goodwill abound. Generosity, be it of spirit or of property, is the norm among our Michiana neighbors. Concern for the needy is demonstrated in thousands of ways in villages, towns, and cities throughout the area. But it could be, the editors muse aloud, it could be that in our zeal to be good stewards, we sometimes overlook the most obvious opportunities to be simply good friends. Listen to this. Shortly before Thanksgiving... All right, just a few days ago, the Tribune received an anonymous letter from a man who described himself as living alone in my 50s, outgoing and full of life. Yet, and the man is writing now, it's been seven years since I last received a Christmas card. It's been seven years since I was last invited to someone's home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Although I no longer have family around, I do have several friends who seem to overlook the fact that I am alone. Pride, the editor writes, won't let him confess his loneliness to these people as that would in effect be begging an invitation. Then why did he write? To make a request, back to the man's letter, if everyone just took a few minutes to think about the family and friends they have, and to give some serious thought to what everyone might be doing over the holidays, I'm sure they would think of at least one person in my situation, he says. As it is, the writer often finds himself looking out a window at the car speeding by, carrying people to the homes of friends or family, or he glances at the telephone. A couple of times he writes, I've even called the operator to make sure the phone was still working properly. I mean, is my phone still hooked up? Well, yes, sir. I haven't gotten a call from anybody. It can't be hooked up. I even called the operator to make sure the phone was working properly. Listen to this. A couple of years ago, I got a call from a person who had the wrong number. Hard to believe, but I actually kept her on the phone for almost an hour to just talk. Would you talk with me? Are you sure this is the wrong number? Give me that number again. What number was it you were looking for? By the way, where are, you, where are you from? Oh, you live somewhere around here? For an hour, the wrong call is held just so that he might hear someone talking to him. On Christmas Eve, the editor writes, he will go to Mass, sit in the back of the church, and watch all the people squeezed into pews with their loved ones, fairly glowing with the spirit of the season. I don't know. You know, it's possible. He's sitting right beside you right now. I don't know. Maybe he'll have to go to Mass to find someone. I don't know. Maybe it's she. Maybe she's the one right in front of you. Right now. 
You know, the next door down in the dorm? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Always eating alone at the cafeteria? You get the picture? Always alone. And you thought his roommate was his companion. <laughs> roommate has a whole circle of friends that don't even allow him a moment of time. They're the one he's been assigned to. She's not even going to be able to go home this Christmas. You know that? She's going to be stuck in the dorm. She won't be any lonelier, though, with everybody gone as she is right now with everybody here. I can't sign my name to this, he writes. Pride prevents me from doing that. However, if everyone gives some serious thought to what I've mentioned, people like myself will no longer be alone on the holidays. Now, the editor concludes, we don't know who this letter writer is. We do know that were he to make himself known, he would not lack for an invitation to Christmas dinner. How many would invite him home right now if he stood up and said, I am that man? How many would give him a Christmas invitation? He'd have a hundred of them right here, just like that. We'd say, you're coming home with me today. Twelve days of Christmas, you'll be home every day. See? You see, it's not good intentions. We all got good intentions. If I know you're the lonely one, okay. But I am so stupidly caught up in my own little game. I'm like Ebenezer Scrooge. I hear this. I say, oh God, if you give me one more chance, I promise I am a transformed man from every Christmas after this. Oh, I shall be, I shall be forever generous. And then three minutes later, I'm telling you, it's as if I never read the guy's letter. There are lonely people all over this congregation right here. And I'm trying to find a guy in South Bend. And they'll be in the dormitory. And they'll show up for Christmas dinner here. And you'll have a whole family full of a dining room around your stocked and piled table. And there'll be a guy over here eating cottage cheese casserole all by himself because he has nowhere to go home to. It's too far away. Can't afford it anyway. We don't know who this letter writer is. We know that were he to make himself known, he wouldn't like for an invitation to Christmas dinner, but that isn't the point. I don't want to invite myself somewhere, he explained. I want someone to actually invite me. If you know a person who lives alone, why not ask? Have any plans for Christmas dinner? It can't hurt. What does hurt is being alone. What does hurt is being alone. So that we would never forget that we are never forgotten. Not alone. I know what you're going through. Not abandoned. I know it seems a long time since I've been back to earth. I have not forgotten you. So that we would never forget that we are never forgotten. God put a baby on the throne of the universe. And because the baby is there today, we will never, ever be alone in the end. O oh, come, O oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns its lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O oh, come, 
O come Emmanuel, before we all die of loneliness one day.